This afternoon, we're going to be uh, continuing, or I should say returning, as we were in the Psalms last week as our first Sunday, uh, returning to our series in the book of Hebrews, uh, continuing with part six of looking at this idea that began in the middle of chapter 10 on holding on to the greater than. We're now entering into one of the most famous sections of uh, the New Testament, and that's the chapter uh, part the remainder of the cha- of chapter eleven of Hebrews, also known as I call it, and some of others called it, the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Faith. Uh, so let's once again hear from the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven, for the sake of context, the entire chapter. <clears throat> now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was, create, universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, offer, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was found, not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had not been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. 
By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning the bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the, to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as, in, as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. And even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. Our Father, speak, O Lord, from these words and implant them deep within us that we might grow in Christ Jesus. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would make these truths real to us. We ask that you might strengthen and increase our faith through, the work of you, through, through your Spirit's work by your word. Would you guide this preacher? Would you chain him to the text of your word that he might freely declare truth? And do so clarity with clarity, with clarity, with accuracy, with understanding. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Having looked extensively over the last several many months, we've seen the reality of Jesus the greater than, and now we've been looking at the importance, the, the centrality now, the implication and the application of that. It is important and vital Yea, necessary for us to hold on to the one who is the greater than being Jesus Christ. And how is it that we hold on? We hold on by faith, believing upon him, trusting him, resting upon him. We looked a couple weeks ago at the end of chapter 10 where he says, And you have need of endurance, 
And specifically what he means by that is you need to continue believing. You need to continue holding on to Christ. For in holding on to Christ, in trusting in him, resting upon him, that is how we put one foot in front of the other. That is how we hold on to Christ. That is from which the patience to endure comes. That is how we can look to that which we do not see and can't touch and yet still being ever real to us that we can keep enduring. Then in the last time we looked at the first three verses of chapter 11, again, one of the, another very famous part of the book of Hebrews in which he said, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And here we see that by faith we have the reality, the certainty, the assurance of things for which we hope. Things for which we hope are things that we do not presently see and can lay our hands on in a tangible, sensory matter. Not things that are perceptible to the ears and to the eyes, to the hands, or any other thing that feels, or to the smell and the taste. But rather they are hoped, things for which we hope that we look to with expectation. And how is it that we have that expectation? How is it that we have the substance of these things, the reality of these things? By faith. By faith. So we can say faith is the assurance of these things. And then he says, by faith, we have the conviction of things that we don't see. We have the, uh, we have the assurance, the certainty Again, the reality of things that we don't see, the perception of things that we don't see. While we may not see them with these eyes, they are visible to us. They are present to the eyes of faith in Jesus Christ. And again, it's not just having some sort of nebulous faith that has no object. The same kind of faith that sports fans say to have when it comes to playoff time. Or the kind of faith that singers sing about many times in Uh, different songs, but rather faith in Christ Jesus. So thus through faith that has not come from ourselves, but has been given to us, that has been received, we perceive Christ. He is present to us. And these things which we don't see are reality, just in the same way that the people of old, as we're going to be seeing in coming weeks, they were, they, were, they were commended by faith even though they had, did not have the reality of Christ having come. They, had no, they really didn't know what it was going to look like. As, as progression passed along, as time passed along, the revelation became fur, further and further along and a little more and more was revealed until Christ came. But we are on that other side and we, though we don't have Christ present, we are on that side and Just as we no longer see Christ, just as we don't see what is coming to us, we by faith are commended. We didn't see the creation of the universe by God, by His Word, but by faith we understand that. By faith we know it to be true. By faith we grasp the reality of it. And now we move into the hall of faith. We're going to be looking today... Verses 4 through 6. 
And these first few people, uh, Abel and Cain, and then uh, Enoch, and then Noah, and then getting into Abraham, we're going to deal with each of those a little slower than we deal after that, because these are setting a foundation for everything that's coming. But the first assertion we have is with regards to Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through this faith, though he died, he still speaks. We may know the story of Cain and Abel, or of Abel and Cain. We may be familiar with it, but I think it would do us well to hear it again. Found in the book of Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. The setup for this before we get there. Adam and Eve have been, the world has been created. Adam and the Adam and Eve have been created in the garden, and Adam and Eve have forfeited that which was promised to them on condition of their obedience because they disobeyed. They failed to keep the covenant of works, and thus thus their entire posterity, which includes us, are born in that guilt of that sin and born in rebellion conceived in sin as david says in psalm 51 and we're and we see the beginning of that now immediately after the garden we see this story in which we see the fruits of that now adam knew eve his wife and she conceived and bore cain saying i have gotten a man with the help of the lord and again she bore his brother abel now abel was a keeper of the sheep and cain a worker of the ground In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, or its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were left in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer of the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So here, as a recap, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. They each offered a sacrifice in accordance with uh, what they did. And one was accepted, the other was not. Abel's sacrifice was accepted, Cain's was not. And then, of course, Cain was not happy with this. The Lord warned him. Cain committed the very first murder of his own brother 
we immediately see the fruit of all that being born. And while we could get into all the various different things of all that, that goes beyond the point of what's being used in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 talks about the sacrifices. When we look at these sacrifices, much ink, a whole lot of ink, and a whole lot of discussion has been had, whether verbally or otherwise, about Cain's sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice. I remember some time back, I think it was uh, about 2006, I took some training in counseling, which I would not recommend this particular method of counseling called theophostic. I would not recommend it at all. Um, But it was part of an agency I was part of, and we all had to go through it. And the counselor wanted to talk about giving counsel to people who are having sibling rivalries and things like that. And said, what can we learn from Cain and Abel? And said, well, from Cain we can learn jealousy and that we shouldn't be jealous of your brother's fortune. What we can learn from Abel? Well, we can learn from Abel that you should share with your brother brother what you need to do to to get ahead. That completely misses the point of the passage, but it was rooted in misunderstandings of why the sacrifice was accepted. Two prominent views, one of which I used to hold, but I've now turned from, um, but two prominent views, one looks at and says, well, let's look at the sacrifices that were offered. Abel was a herdsman, he shepherd, he kept the sheep, and he offered um, the first, from the firstborn of his sheep. Cain was not a herdsman. He was rather a farmer. Didn't have the ranch. He just had the crops. And he offered from his crop in due time. Probably as soon as it cropped, he offered the crop. Now, one, one, view, one view on that, and this is one I've never held to, is it said that, uh, is saying, well, God accepted it because Abel offered the blood sacrifice and he knew to offer the blood sacrifices. That's what it was called for. And Cain uh, should have known better and should have offered the blood sacrifice. And, of course, that counselor said Abel should have shared with him from the blood sacrifice. And also the counselor said that and maybe Abel went nana nana boo boo. But that was wrong. That said, the text does not indicate that at all that we don't have any context of blood sacrifice yet. We simply have offering sacrifice from that which they do, which is that's actually a form of sacrifice in the Mosaic Covenant, offering from that which you do. Now, we also can look at it in terms of this, and this is the view I used to hold. Um, Actually, until this sermon, this is what I used to hold, until I started looking at this and studying it. So, yes, old dogs can learn new tricks. (laughs) And the view was this, that it says that Abel offered the first fruits of his sheep from, uh, from his sheep. And so that's what was accepted because it was the first fruits. In Cain, it doesn't say first fruits. And so he just offered from his grain, maybe down the road. But it says in due time, indicating when it gave, when it gave, when it gave, when it rooted and bore fruit. That's when he offered it, which would be the first fruits. But I used to hold to it being that it was accepted because of the superiority of the sacrifice itself, that it was the first fruits. 
that Abel's sacrifice was accepted because it was a better sacrifice on the nature of the sacrifice itself. That is a work, a merit. It was accepted because of the merit of the sacrifice. Up until last week, that's the view that I held. But then I began looking at this a little bit further. Now we also may ask, why? how do they know they were accepted? The text doesn't tell us. There's all sorts of different speculations we could give. There was a voice from the Lord, or maybe fire came down from heaven to consume the sacrifice. Who knows? That's all speculation. We don't know how it was known. But we have it here. The very reason why, in Hebrews 11, the sacrifice was accepted. It wasn't because Abel knew better or had a more meritorious sacrifice. It says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Why was Abel's sacrifice accepted? Because he had faith. He believed God and trusted him and not the superiority of a sacrifice. It was not the quality of the sacrifice or the type of sacrifice. Again, blood, Abel was a herdsman, Cain was a crop worker. They offered sacrifices according to that which they had. Could it be first fruits? It's quite frequent in ancient literature to avoid ancient literature to avoid as much repetition as possible because stones were hard to write on. And and uh, Papyri and other forms of paper were very expensive. So you save space and avoided repetition. Ultimately, it boils down to this. Abel's sacrifice was accepted not because Abel was somehow smarter or better to offer a superior sacrifice, but it was because he believed the promise of God, because he trusted in him, because he rested in him. Whereas Cain, based on his response, seemed to think his sacrifice merited something from God. Cain was upset that his sacrifice was not offered. When someone reacts to that, we could say this. My sacrifice deserved accepting, and you did not accept it. He was mad that it was not accepted. In whom was Cain looking to? Himself. Abel was trusting the promise of God. Of course, we know the result. Cain killed Abel. And then uh, Adam and Eve had Seth. And it is from the lineage of Seth, which would have been the lineage of Abel, from which what we see in Genesis 6, those who are called the sons of God, uh, from, from which they derive. Abel had faith, for as we'll see in a moment, without faith it is impossible to please God. God does not look... uh, Richard Lenski, the uh, Lutheran commentator, he says this, God never looks only at our gifts. He looks at what is at the back of them in the heart, whether there is faith, the confidence in things hoped for, or from him and his promises of grace, the conviction in regard to things unseen. 
He accepts us because of faith. Faith, not because the faith is even a certain quality, but because of the quality of the one in whom faith looks, Christ Jesus. Because it rests upon and receives from Christ, as we hit upon last time. God accepted the offering because he had regard for Abel. And he had regard for Abel, and he had regard for Abel's sacrifice because he had regard for Abel, because Abel trusted not in himself, but in the Lord, in the Lord God, the creator of the heaven and the earth, the one who made a promise to send one who would uh, crush uh, crush the serpent's head. And so by faith, Abel's sacrifice was accepted. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice that God said, I receive it. One can offer all the sacrifices in the world to God, but if not accompanied by faith that turns from oneself and turns to God and rests upon Him, those sacrifices are in vain. They are in vain. I grew up in a church that the gospel was kind of irrelevant, but yet in the liturgy, the gospel was present. And I remember looking back in high school, when I was in high school or middle school, the high school students did a skit. And I look back on it, the gospel was there. And they were trying to, uh, there was a very wealthy lady who uh, went to who the Lord appeared to, and she said, okay, I'm ready to be accepted by you. What, uh, what do you need? A million dollars, two million dollars, three million dollars? I'm ready to be accepted by you. Here's the money. What, how much? They said, that's not it. I need, you to, I need you to look to me. I need you to trust in me. And that's what's happening here. It wasn't because Abel offered enough. It was because he trusted the Lord. And so it is with us. We, us. we are regarded by God. We are commended by God because of trust in Christ Jesus, because of Christ. We are received by God because of faith in him. Not because we dotted, because we did everything just right. Because we offered the right sacrifice with the right, uh, in the, with the right words at the right time, with the uh, right formulas. Because we, appended, uh, because we appended in Jesus' name to the end of it. And Jesus' name has everything to do with, we, we should use that after prayer. It's a good reminder, but it's not about the formula. It's about this. It's through Jesus that we pray, through faith in him. And so, it is by faith Abel's sacrifice was received. Of course, the opposite is true of Cain, that it was because he did not have the right faith in the right person. And we see that Abel was commended. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What is it to be commended? It is to be honored. It is to be regarded. It is to be counted as something. I would argue that 
there's a building up of what this commendation is speaking of that actually climaxes in verse 7 with regards to Noah, in which it says, By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He was counted as righteous. He was commended, counted as righteous, as fit to be in God's presence, fit to have a sacrifice accepted on account of faith. Just like Abraham, which Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be an heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it, if, for it is the for if it for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. How was faith regarded? How was Abraham regarded as righteous, but by faith? Just as when he, as we're going to be learning, just it was by faith he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He was justified as righteous on account of faith. The sacrifice he presented was a confirmation of his faith, but that's all it was, a confirmation. It confirmed his faith. It did not grant anything. It confirmed that which was true of him in his relationship to God. So how is it then that we please God and are accepted by God? Is it the grand sacrifices? Is it our greatest effort? Is it because God meets us in the middle? There's there's a medieval picture uh, that's very, very famous, a painting, in which you have the two fingers touching. What it is, is God is reaching down, man is reaching up. That actually reflects the theology of the day. Man reaches to God and God meets him in the middle. That's not the gospel, my brothers and sisters. The gospel is that God reaches out to us and grabs us, grants us faith, brings us to himself, and by faith we look to him. It is by faith in Jesus Christ, by resting in him, by receiving from him. Though difficulty may ensue, though we might find illness, though we might find difficulty, the promise holds true. There's a city for which we wait for, and by faith we have it. By faith we have it. There is no promise whatsoever, my brothers and sisters, that life is going to be full of health, wealth, and prosperity if we but have faith. There is no promise whatsoever. The New Testament makes that very clear. One might have health, might have wealth, might have prosperity, but that's not an indicator of their righteousness. In fact, the psalm says, 
Sometimes someone's having super wealth may be an indicator of something else. But again, that's not a guaranteed sign either. It is by faith. It is by faith. We look to him. So he was commended as righteous. And he still speaks today. That is, we can look at that as was spoken of early in Hebrews, is that his blood cries out. Or we can look at is that his story is there and is is shown to us as this is what occurred by faith. I take the latter. But it's very difficult to pinpoint a specific way of looking at that. And then we see the next example in this hall of faith, and that is Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. We see that account in Genesis chapter 5, verses 18 through 24, particularly 22 through 24. But we'll read that whole context. It's, part, it's actually part of a chronology. That is, somebody, the begats, but in using different language. A record of births. When Jared had lived 160 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's all it really says of that account of what Hebrews is speaking. There's not a whole lot more information other than that, that God took him up. But here, the author of Hebrews is drawing a conclusion based upon everything he's been saying. How is it that Enoch had the favor with God to simply be taken up straight into, into glory? How is it? Is it because he he had achieved super-duper level of righteousness, that he became super-Christian and entered into the deeper life? No. It says he was regarded as well-pleasing to God, or having been commended as pleasing to God. It says in in the text we read from Genesis, he walked with God. How is it that he walked with God? Verse 5 uses those two words at the very beginning. By faith. He walked with God by faith. He trusted the Lord. Now, as we've said several times, faith in Christ always bears fruit. What What we see in these by faith is the fruit of that faith. But that fruit is not what did the thing. It was their faith in Christ that did the thing. How is it that he walked with God? He walked by faith. By faith Enoch was taken up that he should not see death. He walked with God. He walked with God by faith. Before he was taken, he was commended as being well-pleasing to God. And that was by faith, not because of a righteousness that he produced, but because of the righteousness of one who had yet to come into human history. Yes, justification is uh, 
We might say that just, uh, just the justification that Christ gave is grandfathered into those who believed in, Christ, believed in the coming Christ before he came. He was justified. He was counted as righteous. And the Lord saw fit that he might not see death. <clears throat> like Abel, like Abraham, as we mentioned earlier, like us, he walked with God by faith, resting upon him and not upon himself. It was not a matter of merit. It was not a matter of merit. He did not deserve it. It was because he was righteous before God and he avoided death. There's only two, two people in the accounts of Scripture who avoided death like that. Enoch and Elijah. So what about Jesus? Well, he didn't avoid death. He died. He rose from the dead. And is risen from the dead. They did not conquer death because they did not die. Jesus died and conquered death. Just to make that clear. And then we see in the fall in the remaining verse in the remaining up through verse in verse six, the reason for this. How is it that by faith Abel's sacrifice was offered? How is it that by faith Enoch was taken up and not found because God had taken him and was regarded as having been well pleasing to God? Well, verse six tells us that because without faith, it is impossible to please him for those who would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And he rewards those who seek him. The reason for it is this. Is it possible to please God without faith? No. It is impossible to please God without faith. To be, and the words in the Greek read it this, it, without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing. For there's two things here. For whoever would draw near to God must believe two things. He exists and rewards those who seek him. First of all is to believe that he is. To acknowledge the God who has revealed himself in the scriptures and to trust in him. This is not the faith of the, this is not the, faith of, uh, the demons as uh, James speaks of that say, yeah, God exists. This is not the faith that's made known to us. This is not faith, and uh, this is not faith based upon natural revelation. God has revealed Himself in creation. He's revealed Himself in us innately, but that's not sufficient for us to find redemption and salvation. That's just enough to bring condemnation. Anyone who's denying the existence of God is lying to themselves. It's patently obvious. Uh, this is more simply than that. This is a believing that he is in such a way that we know it, we know it, we know it to be true based upon what he has revealed to us from his scriptures. That this God is not simply some sort of force who got everything going, but this is the person who said, I am that I am. I, the one who 
the one who always the one who always is everything that he is the one who said i will deliver is still the one who is able to deliver he has not changed the i believe that he is simply acknowledging that there's one god is but a good start it's a good start but it's also not uniquely Christian to believe in one God. It is Christian to believe in one God. I say uniquely Christian. Muslims believe in one God. Jewish religion believes in one God. Hare Krishna believes in one God. Sikhs believe in one God. But believing that he is, that he is the one who has revealed himself here in Genesis through Revelation, that he is this one. That he is the one who created and the one who saves, the one who, the one who made the promise. <clears throat> but then believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What is it to seek the Lord? John Calvin, in his uh, commentary on this particular uh, verse, makes an inter- interesting observation. He says, there are some who try to sneak merits in here the rewarder of those who seek him, that because we seek him hard enough, he rewards us. That we seek him by doing A, B, C, and D, he then rewards us. He says this, but many shamefully pervert this clause, for they they say they hence elicit the merit of works and the conceit about deserving. And they reason this way, we please God by faith because we believe him to be a rewarder, then faith has respect to the merits of works. He goes on, This error cannot be better exposed than by considering how God is to be sought. While any who is, anyone is wandering from the right way of seeking him, he cannot said to be engaged in the work. Now scripture assigns this as the right way, that a man prostrated in himself and smitten with the conviction that he deserves, deserves eternal death and self-despair is to flee to Christ as the only asylum for salvation. Nowhere certainly can we find that we are to bring to God any merits of works to put us in a state of favor with him. Then he who understands that this is the only right way of seeking God will be freed from difficulty on the subject. For reward not refers not to the worthiness of value of works, but to faith. He rewards those who have faith Because we have faith in the one who merits the reward. Jesus is the one who merits the reward. He is the one who merits the inheritance. He is the one who merits everything that is coming. By faith in him, he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So what is it to seek him but to seek him by faith? To look to Christ. To hold on to him. To take a deep dive into Christ. To seek that our roots might be sunk deeper and deeper into Jesus Christ. By faith. There are means God uses to do that. His word, prayers, fellowship of the saints. It's still all about Christ and believing upon him. It is not about good intentions. 
one might say, as I used to believe when I was a, a young kid, I, I grew up, even though I was not a believer, scared to death of God's judgment. I knew that there was a heaven and a hell, and I know I didn't want to go to hell. I said, how am I going to avoid it? And this is how I soothed my conscience. Well, I believe I'm part of this particular religion. I guess if I'm well-intentioned and try to be true to uh, the things that I believe, regardless of what I believe, God's going to honor that and I can avoid hell. But I was wrong. Because it's not about good intentions. Our intentions are never good enough. Nor even then, if they were good enough, we have never followed, we don't follow through with those intentions. As one person said, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. No, to seek God is not about those good intentions. It is about a good God and fallen, frail sinners resting in and receiving from him. If we wish to endure, which if we are Christians, we wish to endure. Since we are Christians, we wish to endure. How is it that we endure, that we put one foot in front of the other? By looking to Christ, by looking to Jesus. He's going to say that flat out in Hebrews chapter 12. After laying this foundation, he's going to say expressly and directly, run the race looking to Jesus. Run the race looking to Jesus. And it is by that, as he says, whoever would draw near to God, it is how is it we draw near to God? How is it that we walk with him and seeking him? But it is by faith in Christ. It is on account of Christ's perfections, on account of his sacrifice, that we draw near to God and that we walk with him. It is by faith that we are united to the reality of Christ Jesus. Again, it is not because our faith is of a certain quality, that there's a certain bar that the faith needs to meet. And then if it dips below the bar, we're not okay. If it dips above the bar in terms of its quality, we're okay. Even our faith that rests in Christ is not sincere and sufficient enough in and of itself to merit God's favor. It's because faith looks to Jesus Christ, who is the worthy one. So it is by faith that we're united to him. And why is it so? Apart from this faith, we are regarded not as objects of God's pleasure, but as objects of wrath. Apart from this faith, we are Cain. Apart from this faith, we are Cain. Apart from looking to God through Christ by faith, we are attempting all things in vain just as Cain did. Just as Cain. So we must be convinced that, we, that when we seek him, we are not seeking him in vain, but that he accepts us and commends us by faith in Christ, because of Christ Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, in closing, how is it any, any of us have anything to offer to God? How is it any of our prayers are received? 
How is it that any of our uh, any of our sacrifices are received and considered pleasing to God? By faith in Jesus Christ. So we cannot ever leave that behind. We can never outgrow that. We can never let Christ become go on the back burner as we focus on other things. Christ must be at the very beginning and at the very end, and that is by faith, my brothers and sisters. So, in closing, I have forward, I, well, a forward exhortation. Let us seek God. Let us seek God by faith in Jesus Christ, resting in Him, and let us seek to do all things, first and foremost, remembering and minding by faith Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, you are oh so good to us that you would redeem us from our pit of despair. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who merited on our behalf your reward. And help us, O oh Father, to keep holding on to him, to keep believing this gospel, to keep resting in Christ, that we might grow. And as we go on and we go into chapter 12, that we might grow in the likeness of Christ. We pray these things, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.